or I don't know. Some of you think it's warm in here. Okay, you can sit down. All right, so we're in a series called Long Story Short, and what we're talking about is creation, chaos, covenant, Christ, church, and then recreation, okay? So creation we find in Genesis, that's the very beginning of the Bible, the first book in the Bible, and it talks about how God created the heavens and the earth, and as he creates things, he every day, at the end of the day when he's made it, he says, it's good. It's good. And then he makes man and woman. And on that day, he says it's very good because they're created in the image of God. So when he creates Adam, he says, this is very good. And so we have creation. Well, it doesn't take long when you read through Genesis and you create, you look at this utopia world where everything is perfect and and nothing's ever messed up. You're like, well, when I look out and when I look at my house and when I look at everything in the world today and I turn on the news, I see that isn't the world that we live in now. How many of you would agree? It doesn't, it doesn't look like the Garden of Eden. And, and, and so you know that something's different right now. How many of you would say that there are moments in time where something happens or you hear about something happen or something happens to you and you would just say, that's not right? Would you say that? How many of you can say you've had a that's not right moment this morning already? (laughs) Or that's not right last week. You've had one of those. You're going to say, this happened. That's not fair. It's not right. It's not good. That's because of the chaos that entered into the world. And the chaos was when sin came in and when we as humanity decided we knew better than God and we were going to determine what was good and what was right in our own eyes. So what we have in chaos is not just Adam and Eve falling into it. We have all of humanity deciding that they're going to do what is best for them and what they think is right and good. Now, most people that we would say are bad people, people that do things that are wrong or people that do things that hurt us or hurt others, even people that do things that make them end up in prison, most of them think they're perfectly right in the decisions that they're making. I've had people steal from me before that I've been helping. Have that, has that ever happened to you? Now, back in the day when we lived in Aurora, Illinois, and uh, we, we lived there, we had a, somebody that was coming over, and we were bringing them to youth group, and we were, we were sharing God's love with them, and we'd give them food and popsicles during the summer and things like that, and they would come over. Well, one day, my video camera went missing, and it hurt because it was expensive, but what hurt more was all of our memories that we didn't have off of it, all of our tape that we can never get back. And I went and talked to that person, and of course they said they didn't have it and they didn't do it. But that was the only person it could have been. And later on, I found out that they were going into people's homes with their business, and they were taking things from people's homes. I was like, you can't, you can't just steal things and, and think it's... Well, they thought it was all right. This, this young person thought it was all right because those were rich people, because they had more than them. So it's all right to steal because they're rich and they can replace it. Do you see the fault in that? But, but in, in his mind, he thought he was just fine, didn't he? He thought he was doing something good for himself because he was justifying his actions. He was determining what was good and what was evil for himself. 
There's another portion in Scripture where it says in the Old Testament, it says, in that day there was no king, there was no judge, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. How many of you kind of feel like that's the world we live in right now? Yeah, we have laws that govern us. We have ideas that we're under, and there's police out there, but everyone is kind of determining and looking within their own heart to do what they feel is right. There's a problem with that because there's no standard of justice. So God is very concerned with justice in the world. And you'll find it again and again. Whenever you see the word unrighteous or righteous, that word is justice. God is concerned with things being right in the world. So when I tell my kids, they better toughen up. They'll say, life's not, this isn't fair. It's not, yeah, I said, life's not fair. Where does that idea of fairness come from? It comes from God because there is an idea of right and wrong that comes from him. And so when we see something, we can have what we call righteous anger, which is anger because things are not just in the world. How many of you would say things are messed up in the world? Even in the United States, things are messed up, right? In our neighborhood, if you go on Facebook, you'll see things are messed up. It's just the reality of that. Now, does that mean as believers in God that we just throw our hands up and say, well, we're just in chaos. We just got to wait till we go to heaven. Then once we go to heaven, everything will be perfect and we won't have to lock our doors. No, it means, we know what God is actually calling us to do? God is calling us to stand in the middle of the chaos and talk about Christ. Stand in the middle of the chaos and bring a little bit of heaven to earth so that we can start showing people the God and the good that we know. So when we do that, people see that there's a better way. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, my job isn't to rant and rave about the evil. It's to stand up and do what is right and show a different path. And when we do that, the church is what it's supposed to be. And we're stepping out of chaos and into God's justice. Okay? You with me? So that's creation. That's chaos. Now we're at covenant. Everyone say covenant. 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 Now, covenant is interesting. Let's go to 2 Timothy 3.16 first. I want to read this verse. This is kind of the theme verse for this whole series. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. Say, my life. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Do you see that justice? Right is justice. Right is the correct thing. Right is the God thing. And so that's what scripture is there to do for us and in us first. If we don't have it affect us, we can't go off and fix anybody else, can we? If we're messed up, we need to deal with us first, and then we can step out and help others. So 2 Timothy 3.16 gives us the context for how we're to look at Scripture. All right, how many of you have entered into a contract before? How many of you sweat and get nervous when you have to do contracts? You're like, okay. I shared a story on Facebook of... A, a company that set up free Wi-Fi in London, and then within, how many of you have gotten free Wi-Fi at McDonald's or Taco Bell or wherever you are, and, and you have to click that little terms and conditions buttons and say that you read it? Now tell the truth, we're in church. How many of you actually read that whole thing? You all shake your head, no, none of you do. He's like, well, I don't care, it's free Wi-Fi, I need it now. You're agreeing to something. Well, this company set it up, and they, they put in there what they called the Herod Clause. 
And the Herod clause was that when you clicked the yes to the terms and conditions, you agreed to give up your firstborn child. And it was kind of a joke, but everyone was clicking in and using the free Wi-Fi, and they all lost their kids. <laughs> you see, contracts, that obviously wouldn't be a legally binding contract, but it's, it's weird. It's making me nervous now about all the things I, I just click through when I get an app, and I say yes to everything, right? Because I don't want to read it. My time's too busy. I need to play Angry Birds. I know that's not even the game right now. I don't know what the games are. Anyways, so, so we see that there are contracts. How many of you have heard of a guy named Reagan before? I'm, I'm not talking about the president. I'm talking about the actor Ronald Reagan. Completely different dude, right? I got a picture of him. What a heartthrob. <laughs> huh? Actually, he's, he's pretty good looking. He was. He had that, that hair, though. His hair stayed like that his whole life somehow. <laughs> it's a, it great. So Ronald Reagan, before he was ever president, and some of you are like, who's, who's, yeah, okay. He was president for a while, okay? Ronald Reagan, before he was ever president, was the president of SAG. Do anyone know what SAG is? Screen Actors Guild, okay? That was a union that was created, I think it was a union, that was created in order to help actors earn income and to actually be able to pay and be fairly compensated. So before he did this, there was no pension funds, there were um, you know, very little, there were no royalties, there was no money that would transfer after the film. Basically, if you're paid $1,000 to do a part, that's all you got. So then SAG came along and, and they elected him for two different, I think at least two different terms. He served two different times. And during those times, he put together a wonderful, wonderful plan for actors that actually allowed them to receive what I would call royalties. And so now whenever we watch a TV show that was filmed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it is, those actors receive money and compensation for work that they completed back then just as these companies and film houses get money for reshowing it and they get contracts for that, okay? Good deal. How many of you have heard royalties before, mostly with music and other things like that? Very good. So this is how they get paid for reruns and all those TV shows and Nick at Night and all that fun stuff. All right, so we have a little game that I want to play this morning with video, okay? So I want you to tell me what we're looking at, what the show is, or what we're, what we're doing. As soon as you see what it is, we're going to shout it out, okay? Once you know what it is. Lights. Hi, I'm Ray. I live here in Long Island with my wife, Deborah, my five-year-old daughter, and twin, almost two-year-old boys. My parents live across the street. That's right. Truth is, I'd do anything for my family. <laughs> and done. Oh, no. <laughs> Deborah! Honey! Somebody! Call my father! Everybody loves Raymond. Aww. It's a wonderful story about how you don't want your parents to live across the street from you. <laughs> All right, so here, here's the deal. Um, everybody... I would call this Everybody Pays Raymond, because he makes $18 million a year just off of the reruns of this. That's a pretty good deal, right? 
You're all like calling in tomorrow and saying, I'm going to go be an actor, right? Everybody pays Raymond $18 million a year. That's a pretty good chunk of change. You could buy a lot of bubble gum with that. Okay, let's show the next one. <laughs> Seinfeld, yes. Seinfeld. Emily's up here saying something different. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's a cool little ditty, right? How many of you remember this show? Yeah, okay, so this is incredible. Um, Seinfeld uh, grossed $900 million in the last 10 years, I think. Something like that. So it's a ton of money. All right, and then I have one other for you. Red! Four claps. It's four claps. It's four. Does that, extra bonus points. Does anyone know the band that just played that song? <laughs> yeah, Kobe, you're right. Kobe, because I probably wasn't even born yet. It was the Rembrandts, okay? The Rembrandts. And it was actually written by the writers of Friends, and then they asked the Rembrandts to come in, record it, and to fix it. So they, they made that song. But Friends, this, they, they make a little bit of money. There's over uh, $1 billion a year that go to the Warner Brothers production company, and then $20 million a year for the major casts. Wow! You bet they're friends forever. <laughs> wow. I wish I had friends like that. <laughs> yeah, so they get, they get paid, right? All thanks to the contracts that Ronald Reagan made way before some of them were born. You see that? So, so that's what contracts, the power of contracts can do. Covenants, what's the difference between a contract and a covenant? I, they're similar in some ways, but a covenant is a partnership agreement. And when we talk about covenant within the church, what we're talking about is God's promise. God's promise to his people, the people he's making a covenant with. And when he does that, often he expects something in return. And what he's expecting is justice and goodness and moral excellence and obedience to what he's asking. So just like a contract, there is some agreement that occurs, but there is some difference. Because we can see throughout the Bible that often God's people do not follow through with their end of the deal but God says something to this effect, I will not put you away, I will not get rid of you, I will not divorce you, I will remember the promise I made to you and your forefathers. And so often God's holding his end of the deal up even when we're dropping ours. How many of you can say amen to that? How many of you have, have decided to follow Jesus but then messed up along the way? Right? So this is the story of covenants that we see throughout Scripture. It's a partnership that God agrees to. It's a promise from Him. 
It's what we would call his word. So far before anything was ever written down that resembled the Bible that we have today, God would speak to his people and that would be his word. And we sometimes talk about the value of somebody's word or a promise that they make. And we know that the promise is only as good as they are willing to follow through on it, right? And their ability to follow through. When we read through the promises of God, we see that he isn't a person that lies. He's, he doesn't back out of anything. In fact, he goes over and beyond and outperforms the covenant and promises that he makes. He is always faithful to his side of the deal, right? He's always doing the right thing and taking care of his people. Lord be with whoever's dealing with that right now, right? got a lot of traffic and people that, that need help. There was, for those of you who are watching online, there's just uh, emergency service that drove by. They probably can't hear that, so I have to tell them. <laughs> okay, so we have a partnership between God and his people. And there are four major ones that we're going to go through today, four covenants that we see. And we talked about one of them last week. The first covenant we see is that with Noah. Noah. And we see after the flood that God tells Noah that he will not destroy the earth again by flood, but he is going to give Noah a sign of his covenant, a sign of his promise, so that often when it rains, we see what afterwards or during? A rainbow. That was God's covenant with Noah. That was him showing up and saying, here is my promise to you. What did God ask of Noah in return? Nothing in that instance. And he did ask them to, to, to multiply and to fill the earth, and they seem to have done a good job because you're all here, right? He asked his family to do that, but they, they didn't really have a whole lot of rules other than that because I think Noah went through a lot of the stuff first. He built the ark, right? He, he did everything that he was called to do, and he rode it out with God through all of this water, and he's standing there, and God gives him this sign of the covenant, the rainbow. And so we all know that that's what that is, but the, then there's a second covenant, and this is one that we often talk about. This is the major covenant that everyone talks about when they say covenant within church, the covenant with Abraham. Everyone say Abraham. Good old Abe. So here's what's going on. Abraham is the patriarch of the three largest religious belief systems in our world today. Judaism, Muslim, and Christianity. All point roots back to Abraham. They all believe that he was special, that he is the patriarch. Now, I think it's kind of cheating to say Christianity because I really view Judaism or, or Jewishness to, to come for Christianity to come through that. That is a continuation of it. So I don't view them as two completely distinct things because I see that God was working through the Jewish people the whole time and then we as followers of Christ are really in that family. We just believe that we have met our Messiah. See? So the second covenant is with Abraham. Abraham is, is an interesting guy. We can open up, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 12, 
and you'll see this. I think Abraham is about 75 years old when this happens, which to me is retirement age, right? (laughs) You're slowing down at that point. Abraham, actually, God picks up speed with him. God says, now it's time to get to work. So Abraham is out there. He's in his area that he grew up. He's known everything forever. He's lived in the same type of place forever. And in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 7, it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household. Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. So he's asking something of Abraham. And verse 2, it says this, I will, this is what will happen if he does it, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you'll be a blessing to who? You guys are the others. You guys are the others. Abraham was a blessing to us because through Abraham, we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So Abraham was set apart for the purpose of God, which is what we call holy. That's what holy means. Set apart to be used by God. In order for that set apart to happen, he was asked to leave his ancestors. He was asked to leave his father's land, to go to a strange land and to do what God asked him to do. Often when there's a covenant, there is a change that God creates. We talked about this the first Sunday uh, when we talked about creation, that God named Adam and assumed authority over him by the name. But then he also gave Adam the ability to name others. And by doing that, he gave Adam authority to name all of the creatures of the earth because he's in dominion and authority over it. So he says, I will make you into a great nation. This is God saying this, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to who? Others. That's good stuff. So Abraham traveled through the land, and he goes to where God wants him to go. Verse 4, what does that say there? So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him, and Abram was how old? That is a long time to leave home. <laughs> Abraham, Abram was a 75 years old when he left Haran. He, he took his wife, Sarai, e, I, can't, I don't know if I can say this, Sarai, his nephew Lot and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into the household at Haran, and headed for the valley of Canaan, where he arrived in Canaan. So he does what God wants him to do. Do we have other verses there? I think we might. Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Moriah. And at that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites, which makes sense because that's who was living there. And so then he builds an altar there. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to who? Your descendants, and Abram built an altar there and dedicated to the Lord who had appeared to him. It's a good reason to build an altar, because God appears to him. So he's promised this thing. He's promised what? I'll give this to your descendants. One issue, one small little issue, is Abram is how old? 75, and guess how many kids he has at this point? Uh Uh-oh. His wife is roughly around the same age as him, too. This is okay. At this point, you got to be thinking, Abram's like, oh, why did you wait this long, God? 
So here, here's what happens. Chapter 15, 1 through 6. Do we have that verse? I think we might. In the, well, that was, that's Genesis. We're going back to all the, all the way back to the beginning. All right. 15, 1 through 6. It says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram said. Do be, not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, you, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I will remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? So back in the day, and just like today, you can will your estate to somebody. He willed it to one of his servants, one of the people within his group. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, The man will not be your heir. But a son, who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And he took them outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. Have you ever tried to do that? Have you ever been so bored, you're like sitting there, and you're like counting all the dots on the ceiling? And you got one of those stempled ceilings or like this, you can see the little, there are more stars than that. And so he, he goes out there and he tells them, count all the stars, if indeed you can count them. And he said to them, so shall be your offspring. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So years have passed. In this second instance we see in chapter 15, Abram is now, guess how old? 99 years old. Come on, God. <laughs> Do you ever feel like God is slow? And, and giving you what he's promised. You ever feel like, God, well, this has got to be something that's going through Abram's, Abram's mind. But God credited it to him as righteousness. That's what it says in Galatians 3, 6 or 7. So also Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are like children of who? Abraham. So we are like children, those of you who have faith, are like children of Abraham. You're in the same category as him because you have faith. So, so Abram is actually renamed Abraham, which is a name that, that is talking about his descendants and the multitude of people that will come from him. Often, when God takes ownership of something, he renames it and changes it. Have you noticed that in your life? That sometimes when, when you give your heart to him, he's going to change you and make you a new creature. He's going to change you. In the Bible, we see that uh, God met a man named Simon, Jesus being God, met a man named Simon. What did he change Simon's name to? Who? Peter, which means what? Rock. Rock, it means big, rough, solid, solid. And that's who Peter eventually became as God worked through him. So Abraham becomes us. Abraham has a son whose name is Isaac. Isaac isn't too old. He's 15 or so, maybe a little bit older than that, somewhere around that age. And God comes to Abraham and asks him to do what? To sacrifice his one and only son. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Where do we, else do we see that? Jesus. So Abraham is a foreshadowing of Jesus because Isaac was 
supposed to be sacrificed. God came to Abraham and said, hey, you need to sacrifice your one and only son. Abraham, by faith, goes forward with it and says, okay, we're marching. And as they're going up the mountain to create this sacrifice, which is a horrible thing to think of, the boy, Isaac, is carrying the kindling in the wood that he's meant to lay on. And as they're going up the mountain, Isaac looks around and sees nothing but the sticks he's holding in his dad and asks the question, where's the sacrifice? And what did Abraham respond with? The Lord will provide. Now, I want to pull this out, and I don't think Abraham knew that in that moment. But when Abraham says that, he's not only saying that over his circumstance, he's saying it over our circumstance. Because Abraham is a foreshadowing of God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And when Isaac is climbing up that path, and he says, the Lord will provide, then we see that God will also provide a way out for us. And that's Jesus Christ. So Isaac is laid down upon this sacrificing altar. And Abram is ready to do the bad stuff here. This is getting weird. All right? Let's just admit it. It's weird. And then God provides a ram in the thicket and tells Abram to stop. Abraham to stop. And Isaac is spared. Isaac is not killed. But there is a lamb that is provided. And Jesus is that lamb that is provided for our sacrifice and for the sin that we've committed. You see that? You see how that's, that's foreshadowed? Now, from Isaac, we see the nation of Israel explode, and we see the third covenant, all right? The third covenant is the covenant with Israel, and this is where we have a, a Jewish people, and I would say at this point, we're tribal, okay? It's, it's gotten so big, it's like a, a tribe. The third covenant is with Israel, and as all the people, all the descendants of Abraham ha, have gathered together, and we have 12 tribes. And, and from that, it's just, it's starting to expand. And God comes and says, do what is right and just, and I will bless all people, all you who are following me. All of the Israelites will be blessed if you follow me. And from that, we also get the Ten Commandments, because while this occurs, there's a major story that happens, because the Israelites are trapped in Egypt for 400 years as slaves. And during this slavery situation, they lose some of their connection to God. So when they come out, Moses goes before God in prayer, and God tells him, here's what the laws of your people and my people should be. And Moses takes note and, and we get the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments are what a lot of our law, even within the United States, is based off of. And I don't want to read them for you here. This is kind of the summary of them. It's, it's not the full length of it, but you find them in two different areas. You can find them in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5 through 6. So this is it. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. An idol is anything that we worship or place above God. And back then, they actually made idols of clay and out of brick and out of uh, gold and out of wood. So you shall not make yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is way too rampant. 
we say GD and other things that we shouldn't say. I think it's a misuse of the name of the Lord God. In fact, they followed this. The Jewish people, some of them still today, follow this so much they will never utter the name of God because they don't want to misuse it. So there's, a, there's like this respect that's given to God through that. So you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. You will remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You will honor your father and your mother. And all the parents said, yeah, <laughs> you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, do not lie against your neighbor, and you shall not covet the Ten Commandments. How many of you have never broken a Ten Commandment? Well, you guys are in big trouble. I hate to tell you this, but all of you have probably, how many of you have lied before? Yeah. So then, if we break one, we've broken the law, according to God. That's a problem, isn't it? So God institutes, and you can read this in Deuteronomy and in other areas of the Old Testament, you can see that there's sacrifices, and by doing this, you see that sin is absolved, it's erased, and they can kind of start over again. There's a lamb that's sacrificed. There's something that's given up in order to show that sin costs something. How many of you can look at your own life or the life of others, and you see that sin has a heavy price? It's pleasurable for a time. It may seem like a good idea to do in that moment, but afterwards, you are paying for it. Someone's going to pay for it. And ultimately, the Scripture says it leads to death. So we have the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are given within the covenant to Israel and the Jewish people, and God says, if you follow this, I will bless you. If you follow this, I'll make you great, and I will make you strong. Guess what happens to the Israelite people? They follow it perfectly. They never mess up. No, they break the law over and over and over again and over and over again. And, and throughout the rest of the Old Testament, you see it's a cycle of them realizing their shame and realizing their sin and trying to get right and try to bring justice into the world. And then the next generation or the generation after that messes up and breaks away and they're creating idols and, and, and they're committing adultery and they're murdering people and they're stealing from their friends and their neighbors and they're charging high interest rates, which is theft according to these scriptures. And they're doing all sorts of stuff stuff like this to each other and to others. And you know what they do every time they do it? They say, well, here's why I did it. And they justify it. They try to make it right. Remember, how many of you have tried to make something that you did wrong right? I'm not talking about asking for forgiveness. I'm talking about explaining it away. That's what we do. That's what they did. And God continually pulls them away. He puts them into Babylon. He, he, he basically puts them in time out and not fun situations where they realize what they've done and they ask for forgiveness and he pulls them away. Why does God do this just with this nation? Because through this nation, God wants to bless the whole world. He wants to restore everything back into communication with him. And he's choosing one nation for the Messiah to come through. Remember Abraham, through you all will be blessed. 
So for all to be blessed, there has to be a difference. And we are called as believers today to be different than the rest of the world because Christ is within us. Because the Holy Spirit resides within you, you're called to live differently and you're given the power and authority to live differently. Back then they had this and they had to try to follow this. And if they messed up with this, then they kind of broke the covenant. They were breaking everything. So in part, this is given to us for us to see that we cannot complete the law on our own. Amen? How many would you say you have difficulty? If your salvation was based on never doing any of these, how many of you would be in heaven? Right. That's bad news. The good news is the covenant is step by step being revealed further and further. Each covenant that we see, so we have the first covenant with Noah, then we have the covenant, second covenant with Abraham, we see that God is going to bless everyone through Abraham. Then we have the third covenant with the Jewish people, the people of Israel. We see that God is going to bless them, and we get his law. We see what is right and what is wrong. And then the fourth covenant, we have the covenant of David, what I call the kingdom covenant. This is where Israel becomes a nation, okay? This is where God sets them apart. The tribe is now a nation. They're called to obey the rules and laws that we saw before, but they're also called to do what is right and just, and they worship God, and they create the tabernacle, they create the sanctuary, they create the place that is supposed to represent God on earth and the kingdom of heaven being established here. There's a Bible verse, Psalm 16, 8 through 11, I think I have that. I know the Lord is always with me, this is David, I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice, my body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you for how long? Forever. So David had an understanding of eternity. Not only that, when he said that you will not allow my soul to be among the dead, I think he's talking about being with God for eternity, but then he says, or let your Holy One rot. You know, I think that's a prophecy of Jesus Christ, because how long was Jesus dead? Not long enough to rot. He didn't rot, did he? But he died. He came back. So you see, through David and, and, and Scripture, David is a man after God's own heart. But I want to tell you something that you probably already know. He broke a few of the Ten Commandments. Just a few. He stole someone's wife, which I think is, is stealing, right? But it's also adultery. He murdered the husband. He did some horrible stuff. And God forgave him, but guess what still happened to his family? They paid the consequence for their dad's sins. There were sins that were paid for because his family was so messed up. And because David had sinned, he didn't deal with his family the right way all the time. And so even though David was a man after God's own heart, he messed up sometimes. And I, I want to tell you this because in some ways, I think we're like David. We want to be godly, but we mess up sometimes. Amen? There's still hope. Amen? David is still with God the Father. And it's not because he did everything right. It's because he followed God. And so that's, that's where we see the, the fourth covenant uh, with David. And, and through this, we see that David 
is also supposed to be on the throne forever, a son of David. Well, how does that make sense? Because right now, we don't, in, in Jerusalem, you can't go there and find a son of David ruling. I don't think it's not, maybe they are related. That would be interesting. But that's not necessarily what's happening. When it says the son of David, it's talking about the son of God because within the lineage of David and Abraham, you see all these generations, and then you see David, and then you see that Jesus has a direct tie to King David. And so Jesus is the one that's going to establish the eternal kingdom of, of heaven on earth. In fact, in Scripture it says it began when he came down and he did that. So Jesus is the one that is ultimately going to reign forever and fulfill the covenant with David that one will be on the throne for all time. So all of these, one through four, uh, covenants one through four, we have Noah, we have uh, Abraham, we have the Israelites, and then we have David. All of these are progressive in nature. They're like steps up the stair. And as we step up the stair, we get closer and closer to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so all of these are necessary, and all of them point and talk about Jesus. And if you go through Isaiah, and if you go through the Psalms, and if you go through many, even Daniel speaks of this, if you go through many of the books in the Old Testament, you'll see direct reference to the Savior, to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. It all flows in one direction towards that because the ultimate purpose is to get out of the covenant and into the fulfillment of all of the covenant. The covenant isn't washed away, but it's fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And no longer do we have to be perfect at the Ten Commandments or no longer do we have to thank God, take our best cattle up here and just slaughter it. You know, as a priest, I don't have to do that. Thank you, Lord be more of a butcher than, a, than I am right now, right? But God has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, the, one, the Holy One who did not rot, and allowed us to step out of covenant into relationship. So there's a new covenant, and we're no longer under the curse of sin and death. Jesus fulfills all of these things you see. He's a fulfillment of the covenant. Okay, so we have a big picture here, right? Up here. How many of you are kind of image-based learners? I'm sorry you've been listening to me talk this whole time. You made me feel... No. <laughs> I'm image-based. I, I, you can listen a little bit, but pictures help. I like pictures in the books. <laughs> All right? So this is, this is the promises made. You have Avery, Abraham, Mosaic Law, Davidic, New Covenant, Palestinian Covenant, and then promises fulfilled. You have... All of this, and you see it marching towards the cross. And then you see Jesus Christ being established all over this. I want to show you, even better, how many of you learn by videos? Like, how many of you say, explain it to me like a five-year-old? <laughs> yeah, that's me, okay? I have a video I want to share with you. You guys can look these guys up on YouTube. Great content, okay? It's called The Bible Project. And I want to show you, it's going to condense what I just said and show you pictures that, that's going to help you learn, because this helped me tremendously as well. Let's, let's see if we can roll that video. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or 
maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure. 
somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Okay. (laughs) Did that help? All right, I want you to stand up. Worship team, you can come on up here. I want to read one more verse to you, because this is what God said to his nation, to his people, and I think he still says this to us today. Um, I know sometimes we can get weighed down by guilt over doing the wrong. We need to remember that God's grace is bigger than our sin. Amen? We need to remember that God's sacrifice is bigger than our sin and our faults and the bad things we've done. So uh, Isaiah 49, verse 15. This is a response from Isaiah, the prophet, and he's talking to Jerusalem and Israel, and he's saying, because the people feel like God has abandoned them. And so maybe you've felt that way before. But this is, this is what God uh, says to the people who feel like they've been forgotten by him or they've been left. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child that she has born? Then even if that were possible, I would not forget who. I, I want you to say this. God has not forgotten, point to yourself, me. God has not forgotten me. Others may forget you. God has not forgotten you. No matter what you're dealing with right now, God has not left you. No matter what you've done in your past, God has not given up on you. No matter how you feel or if you feel insignificant or you feel so small and unworthy of anything, God has not forgotten you. He loves you more than a nursing mother can love a child. He he desires that closeness with you more than any other relationship. It is not possible. He cannot stop loving you. He will not forget you. He has not forgotten you. You It doesn't matter if if you broke every one of the Ten Commandments. If you viewed it like a list to plow through. God has still not forgotten you. And that's why he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us.
Let's pray. Lord, I ask a blessing over everyone in here right now that you would help them to not just know and, and think about, but feel that they are loved and they are not forgotten. Lord, I thank you for your progressive revelation that we see within the Bible of, of what you're doing and what you're creating and that you're creating the kingdom of heaven within the believers. And you're asking us to go out and share the restoration of Jesus Christ and his ministry with others. Give us the power and the ability to do that. Help us to know that we are loved and not forgotten. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.